Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today.
of our worship when we sing and praise his name he shows up in the midst and when he shows up we all know his presence is felt amen gotta have you gotta have you amen thank you so much Father, we thank you now for this time in your presence. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for allowing us to glorify your name and to be included in your work. Thank you for the songs that have gone up, the scriptures that have been read, the prayers that have covered us. And now, Lord, we need a word to help us to live. Pray that you would again lift your human out of self, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Speak to us and through us in this moment of sharing. Bless now the words that are in our mouth and the meditations that are on our heart, that it may be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Bless all who are here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we, we talked about forgiving the, the challenge of forgiving ourselves. I want to continue with the thought of, of forgiveness this morning, but uh, we'll look at it a little different. So turn, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Matthew 18. And we'll look at two verses for the morning. I initially thought that we would look at 21 through 35, but I know that that's not going to be possible today. So. We'll pick that up in two weeks. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 23. Uh, 21 and 22, should I say. These would, we'll find the scripture. 
Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. This is the word of God for the people of God. I want to talk to this to you this morning about learning to forgive. Learning to forgive. I, I think forgiveness holds the key to it's the glue that, that is necessary in our world today. I, I think that there are far too many people who are more willing to be unforgiving of others than there are people who are willing to be forgiven. And, and, and as a result, we see the, the unraveling of society. We see it in, in the communities with all of the senseless killings. And boys get into scuffles and no longer do they fight and be through with it. Unforgiveness set in and they think that they have to kill somebody. We, we see it in, in the highest areas of law in our nation. We, we see political retribution taking place. One party disagreed with another party and and now retaliatory actions are coming forth. We, we see it in the dismantling of our families. That, that men can't get along with the women that they pledge to love. And, and women can't get along with the men that they pledge to love because of unforgiveness. And, 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 and we, we've got to learn again how to forgive. We, we have to understand that it is a virtue that, that unity is fragile. It's so easy to break unity in any cohesive organization or any structure. It's so easy for that to come apart. And even sometimes when in the aftermath of, of relationships, when they have come apart, people say that it was because of unreconcilable differences. The truth is there really no unreconcilable differences and unwillingness to forgive or an unwillingness to discuss what's the real problem and what is the solution? It's not so much who's to blame, but what's the problem and what's necessary to fix it. But that level of unwillingness has risen in our community and in our hearts and in the church. And, and, and if we don't tell the truth and if we don't teach the truth, then it cannot get better by itself. The truth is unforgiveness is a sin. 
Jesus has forgiven us. And because he has forgiven us, the expectation is that we would forgive other people. And I want to talk about that this morning. I want to, I want to just help you see it first. And then I'll explain the scripture passage. Uh, uh, forgiveness, when you do forgive, it's an act. It, it, it's an act of grace. It's, it's, an, it's an act of undeserved favor. That's what forgiveness is. And, and, and it comes as, as a result of choice. You have to choose to want to forgive. You, you can find enough, a lot of reasons every day to maintain unforgiveness. But you have to choose to want to forgive. And, 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 and let, me, let, me, let, me, let me take it one step further and then I'll jump into the text. When you deal with forgiveness or unforgiveness, either way you want to look at the side of the equation, you have to deal with it one or two ways. Either you're going to deal with it by law or by grace. If, if you deal with forgiveness or, or the hurts or the unforgiveness, by law it means an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, so I'm, I'm going to hurt you. You, you. you took out my tooth, so I'm going to get yours. You took out my eye, so I'm going to take out your eye. That's law. But grace, grace is forgiving it and letting it go regardless of what you did. And, and that's what God does for us. God deals with our sins via grace. Aren't you glad about it? That God doesn't do us, give us what we deserve. An eye for an eye, two for two. We would be a bunch of toothless, eyeless people. I'm serious. That wouldn't be nothing left of us if God dealt with us according to what's law, what's lawful. But he deals with us according to grace. And, and, and listen, and what I want to say this morning is when, when, when you assemble all of the knowledge, all of the biblical knowledge, and you lay it down side by side, you will come away with the conclusion that unforgiveness is just not worth it. That the price of unforgiveness is just too high. For me to pay that cost. Why? Why? Why is the cost so high? Because, because it puts me in a bad situation. It sets me up against God. And I don't want to do that. And it, it turns me over into the hands of the devil. And I don't want to be in his hand. So let's, let's, let's look at, at the text this morning here. The passage of scripture that claims our attention comes right out of the teaching ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has been teaching his disciples in a private section. See, they, they knew that Jesus was the Christ. They understood. And they knew that his life was moving fast to a close and that he would soon be going to Jerusalem. And they expected him to be inaugurated as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And once he was inaugurated, they had already imagined themselves as having the chief seats in his kingdom. They all wanted 
the seat on the left and the seat on the right. And they got angry because one of their boys, or two of the brothers, James and John, got their mama involved and had her to go to Jesus and say, hey, grant me a favor. When you come into your kingdom, let my son sit, one on the left hand and the other on the right. And Jesus said, whoa, you're asking something that you don't even know what you're asking for. Yeah, you know, and he turned to those boys. He said, can you be baptized with the baptism that I be baptized with? And can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? And, and, and they cockily said, we can. They should have said, oh, no, we can't handle the suffering that you're going to deal with. And we don't want the suffering that we'll have to go through. And, and so he knew that the argument, even on the road as they were traveling, had been about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And to settle their argument, when they got in the house there at Capernaum, he took a little child and he set the little child in the midst of them. And he said, except you come as this little child, you cannot even enter into the kingdom. Let's know him be the greatest. And so he went to a whole teaching lesson on what it means to be childlike and to have childlike faith. And then he says, even children have to be protected. And he said, if one of you offends one of these little ones, it'll be better that a millstone was hanged around his neck and that he was drowned in a sea than to offend one of these little ones. And then he comes right to where I am in the text this morning and he teaches something else about children. And he said, and even children need to be forgiven. And, and we all know that, that children are fickle. We all know that children sometimes act in ignorance. We all know that children sometimes act without thinking. And, and even though they have to be disciplined and dealt with and corrected, but we don't string them up. Sometimes we want to. And I grant that there are a few that probably do need to be. But for the most part, what do we do with children? We forgive them. We correct them, we address them, we address their issues, we address what they did wrong, and we admonish them, but we let them go. And that's what he's saying. That we're all children. We're all God's children, and we all mess up. And we all are subject to mess up. And so all of us need to be forgiven. And all of us need to learn how to forgive. I don't know how you can live on the earth without messing up. You know, they, they, they put erasers on pencils, put delete on computers, because we are subject to mess up. And so when it comes to somebody else, we can't just throw them out, or throw them away, or excommunicate them or dismiss them. No, instead, we can forgive them. But learning to do that is difficult. And that's what he's teaching here. And, and, and so, so in that teaching on children, when, when the lesson has died down a little bit and the, the house has kind of gotten quiet, Maybe Jesus has taken a break from what he was teaching earlier. And, 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 and Peter, we love this boy. He, he was bold, he was bad, he was impetuous. 
but we, we like something about Peter. Peter goes to Jesus and Peter asks questions. And let me tell you something, people who ask questions get answers. Uh, you know, and, and, and other people benefit from their questions. You ever been in a classroom when somebody else asked a question that you wanted to ask, but you were glad you didn't <laughs> because you still got the answer you needed? Well, that's Peter. We learned, we learned. Peter lived 2,000 years ago, but he asked Jesus. He comes to him with an inquiry, and the inquiry of what Peter asked is the same inquiry that we need to ask. Listen at what Peter says. He goes to Jesus. He leans right into him, and he says, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother, when he sins against me. Man, that, now that's a question. That, that, that's a question. The question is, how much stuff do I really have to take? How, how, how much before I go slap off? <laughs> and I think it's a question that needs to be considered and probed. I think it will slow us down on the trigger. I think it will slow us down on decisive matters that causes the divisions that ultimately will come as a result of a quick trigger. And I'm not just talking about on a pistol or a gun, but sometimes we pull quick triggers in more places than one. And I'm saying an inquiry as to how much we should take before we reach the point of not being able to forgive or not having to forgive. And I think when you start thinking like that, you, you have to ask yourself another question. How much stuff does God take from me before he reaches the saturation point with me? And, and, and that, that, that brings us to the crux of what's really at, at issue here. What's at issue here is God forgives. And if God forgives, the expectation then would be that we should forgive. Peter raises an important inquiry. I think, I think sometimes in, in, in relationships, you got to ask that question. How, how many times should I forgive? I mean, because if, if, if you say I, I've reached the end of it, you, you could end a relationship prematurely. I'm grateful that God didn't end my relationship with him prematurely. I, I'm, I'm glad that on, on, on other forms of employment that I've been in in before in times past that I have maintained my cool, set it aside for a minute. I had other tactics that I used, but I didn't give up on it. Because we all mess up. And because we all mess up, we when we're in the driver's seat we can't be so quick. Got to make sure that we're giving it its proper weight and analyze, 
analyze the situation beyond just what appears on the surface. Because you could mess up something. You could live with regret. And regret is awesome. It's an awful feeling when you can't correct what you've already messed up. So, so Peter says, how, how many times do I forgive my brother when he sinned against me before I get a chance to come back at him? And, and, and that's the inquiry. But look, look, look at the extent, the answer. Peter thought he was really saying something very valuable. He said, what, until seven times? I mean, and, and that, was, that was being mighty generous. And Peter's response of how long or how many times was based upon his understanding of theology as had been explained in the Old Testament and even from the rabbinic teachers from Jew, Judaism. In the book of Amos, if you want to look at it, Old Testament book of Amos, first chapter, and Amos chapter one, verse three, the, the prophet is speaking about forgiveness and he says that he names one of the nations, I think it was Edom, can sin three times and on the fourth time, they don't have to be forgiven. Then in verse six, he names another nation. And he says they can be forgiven three times, but the fourth time, they don't have to be forgiven. Then in verse 9, he names another nation that can be forgiven three times, and then the fourth time, they wouldn't have to be forgiven. And verse 11, he gives another nation. So I want you to look at that. And, 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 and therefore, Peter perhaps thought that if, if the children of Israel could only forgive a nation three times, then that's good. And, and, and Rabbi Joseph Hadel had said, you can forgive a man three times. And on the fourth time, that's it. And, 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 and another one of the rabbis had said, three times, and that's it. We know in baseball, strike one. Strike two, strike three, and the umpire gets down and says, he's out of there. But guess what? So Peter thought he was standing on good ground when he said, up to seven times, God? Now, what Peter was doing, he was, he was giving the three times that the Jewish people were accustomed to, and he was doubling it. And adding one on top of it. So he really thought Jesus was going to say, wow, Peter. Boy, you are really some spiritual vessel <laughs> that you can forgive seven times. See, that was the extent. Peter was looking for commendation. But let me help you understand something. Jesus' answer shocked him. Jesus said, no, Peter, not till seven times, 
But I say unto you until 70 times 7. And I know you can count. I know you can multiply. I mean, 490 times. So what is that really saying? You got your book. And you're keeping up. All right, I'm forgiving you 300 times. I'm tracking this thing. All right. Got the 350, you're getting close now. <laughs> I'm at 400 now. You ain't got a <laughs> few more 420, 440, 460. We're getting there, baby. 480, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. You ain't got but five more. Time to mess with me. 490 times. Now I can come unglued. Nah. Listen, what it, what it, look, you can see the stupidity of it. What, he, what he's saying is, it's an unlimited number. Because if you really are counting and keeping up with 490 times, you really haven't forgiven. You haven't looked past anybody. You, you're just waiting. And so, so the word here, the extent of forgiveness is an unlimited number of times. And you ought to be glad about that because it means that God has forgiven you an unlimited number of times. Listen, I can count 490 times in my own life, probably just last week, that the Lord has had to look past me. And if I go through the history of my life and think about the number of times God has had to look beyond my faults, man, I would have been messed up. Look, 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 I, I'm sharing. Uh, uh, let me show you one illustration of what forgiveness looked like. In, in the book of Genesis, there was a family, family type. All the boys were born of the same father. Jacob had 12 sons. And next to his youngest son was Joseph. And Joseph was a dreamer. And Joseph had brothers, man, and they didn't like him already because daddy had showed favoritism. Had given him a coat with many colors. That means he wasn't to work in the fields like everybody else. And they had levels of resentment about that. And then Joseph was kind of arrogant in his own way as a child brat. And, and he messed around and told his brothers what he dreamed one time. He said, I dreamed that we were out cutting sheaves. And, and, and the sheaf that y'all cut and the sheaf that I cut, y'all sheaf bowed down to mine. <laughs> and they said, what boy? You, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you? <laughs> They said, we're going to see what's going to happen with your dream. <laughs> what's going to happen to you as a dreamer? He dreamed another dream, and he told his mom and daddy that I dreamed that the stars were all there, and, and my stars shine brighter than y'all had to bow down to my star. And they said, hush your mouth, boy. But it came true that his brothers didn't like him. And one day they decided they were going to kill him and get rid of his dreaming. 
And instead of killing him right away, they put him in a pit. And then they looked up and they saw a group of merchant men going down to Egypt. And they said, rather than killing him, let's just sell him and be through with him. And, and, and they sold their brother into slavery. And he went down into Egypt and he had a hard time. But God's hand was on him. He ended up in prison, but because he could interpret dreams, he ended up being brought out when the Pharaoh had a dream. And he was elevated to chief financial officer in Egypt. And then when the famine did hit, his very brothers years later had to come to Egypt to get grain. And Joseph recognized them, but they and they never could have imagined wildest dreams recognized him and he dealt with him he could have dealt badly but he didn't and finally at the end in Genesis chapter 50 he says to them when he revealed himself he says I'm Joseph your brother whom you sold in the slavery and he breaks this statement he said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good God sent me ahead of you to reserve and preserve your life. And he took care of his brothers, but they were afraid of him because they didn't know how to even receive the forgiveness that he offered. And that's our problem. We don't want to receive forgiveness because we think people have other ulterior motives. You got to learn how to forgive. David was a forgiver. Saul tried to kill this man and Saul dogged his footstep for 15 years, chasing him in the wilderness, chasing him all over the nation. And one night, David and his men were hiding in a cave and Saul came in that cave to relieve himself, the scriptures say. And he fell asleep and David and his men said, David, look at the Lord and deliver your enemy. And David did not hurt the man. He just cut off a little tip of his robe. And the next morning, he said, Saul, I want you to know I could have got you, buddy. But I let you go. That's what forgiveness is. Even when you could have someone, even when you could, maybe they even deserve it. But forgiveness is a quality. You're never more godlike than when you forgive. It takes somebody, it takes a God-infused heart to be able to forgive someone else. It, it's counter to human behavior. But again, I want to talk about now the effects. See, we looked at the inquiry. How many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? We looked at the extent, an unlimited number of times. Now, let's look at the effects of what really happens when we forgive or when we don't forgive. You have a choice. Now, you can, you can say, you don't know what they did to me. And I ain't going to never forgive. You can take that attitude and you turn yourself right over into the hands of Satan. Because, see, Jesus has already taught us, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who do what? 
trespassed against us. Another way of saying it, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our who? Debtors. We are asking God, God, forgive me of my wrongs, but I don't have to forgive those who have wronged me. No, when you, when you do that, that is a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin, and that is a too high of a cost. The effect of that is too much. Look at what you are saying. You are saying, God, you can take away your forgiveness of me. I'd rather not have your forgiveness if it means I got to forgive her or him. Look at that. Do you know what you're going to do tomorrow? Do you know what you're going to do later today? Do you know what you're going to do next week? Do you know what faults, what stumbling blocks lie in your path? Do you know what mistakes you are subject to make? then how dare you say, God, I don't want your forgiveness. I don't need your forgiveness. No, I need God's forgiveness. I need it for what yesterday was. I need it for today. And I, if he brings the sun up, I'll need it tomorrow. It was too high of a cost for me not to receive the forgiveness of God. The second thing it is, when we don't forgive, we also turn, get ourselves turned over to Satan. So if you're not in God's hand, whose hand are you in? And, and who then controls the circumstance? And who sets us up? We set ourselves up to be turned over to the tormentors. And Satan has a lot of tormentors. And he has a lot of tormenting ways. That's more than I want. Listen, I need God's mercy. I need God's grace. I need God. Keep, Keep your hand upon me so no evil cannot harm me. You know, I got stuff inside. I got people outside. I need God to get the door sometime. You know, I can't always get it, so I need him. So I don't want to be turned over to tormentors. I don't want God to turn me over to the enemy and let the enemy have its way. You know, David messed up one time. He took a census. He numbered all of his soldiers. And God said to him, okay, now your punishment is going to be, I can turn you over to your enemies or I can bring a plague on your community. David said, bring the plague on God. He said, don't turn me over to my enemies. Leave me in your hands because I know that if I'm in your hands, you are merciful. You know how far to go, and you know when to pull back. But my enemies don't know that. They don't have good sense. I don't want to be left over to them. When you learn to forgive, you learn that that's the best that a human being can be. When you learn to forgive, you also learn that it's the character of a Christian. It's the character of a saint. To be forgiven. That's how people know who you are. How do people know that you are godly? What they do? They read your sign. They see the cross. They, they see the big Bible. No, they look at your life. They look at how you treat other people. The Bible says a tree is known by the fruit it bears. A good tree can't help but to produce good fruit. And a corrupt tree can't help but to produce 
corrupt fruit. So if I'm a forgiving person, then it says that God has something to do with my life. My forgiveness is tied to my love. I just shall all men know that you are my disciples. What's that sign? That you have love in your heart for one another. And that means you demonstrate forgiveness. And that's how, that's how people know. How, how would your children know how to forgive? Do you understand that children learn what they live? If a child lives with love, he learns to be loving. If a child lives with hate, he learns to be hateful. If a child lives with forgiveness, he learns to be forgiving. And so we have to live in such a way that it becomes evident as to who is influencing our lives. And I think, I think that when we learn to forgive, we rid ourselves of the bitterness, the root of bitterness. You know, when you forgive people, you know what? Let me just, let me put it in Wesley's Axiom 105. When you learn to forgive people, you know, the need to retaliate is removed. I don't need to get nobody back. When I've forgiven, when, when I've forgiven, it's over. I don't need to hold grudges. I'm free. I'm free from the root that poisons me. And that's a blessing. That's where physical healing comes from. If I'm telling my people in my life, you make me sick, then they keep me sick. But when I forgive, then healing comes. Physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing the baggage is gone and I don't need to carry it anymore these are the effects of forgiveness forgiveness has another effect it frees us from divine chastening I, I don't want God to get me how many know, man, God could get me in ways you never could. God gets in people conscious. God gets in people dreams. God gets in people minds. And he worries and he stirs and, and he deals things. So that's why I don't have to worry about it. I can let people go. And I'm free. That's what the writer John said in the 8th chapter of John's gospel. He said, and whom, and you shall know the truth, is what he said first. And the truth shall set you free. And he said, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm free. That's what forgiveness is. It's forgiving. It's being free. It's learning how to let somebody go who has caused you hurt. But I say often that what we do is we put people in a little box, a little dog box, a little dog cage. And we say I forgive them. And what it means is we open the cage and we take them out. We beat up on them a little bit. We hold them on a leash. 
then we lock them back up. Then when we feel benevolent another day, we say, I'm going to let you free. And we open the dog cage up and we let them out. And before they can get away, we say, oh, no, let me beat up on you some more. And then we lock them back up. But what real forgiveness is, is opening that dog cage and letting that person go. Turning loose the leash and letting them be free. And they owe you nothing, not even an apology. Man, somebody need to hear that today. Somebody needs to hear that today. I, I know life is not fair. And I know people come up against you and people do ugly things. They say ugly things. They do hateful things. They do despiteful things to you. And it makes you want to live. But because you have come under the banner of the blood and because you have been washed and because you have been set free, then you have to turn around and set others free. And when you do that, when you do that, you'll sleep well. When you do that, you'll be in peace. When you do that, you'll be free to love people regardless. And you won't have to worry. We celebrate, we talk about, we talk about Black History, Black History Month. Black History Month is the story of freedom. Not so much that black people have been free, but it's the story of being able to forgive other people. And how in the world you can enjoy all of the freedom that you have and you can't turn loose somebody else loose. See, what's in the rest of that chapter, what I'm going to come back to when I return is the example there is a parabolic example that follows and I knew I wouldn't have time to explain it adequately so I'll just say to you today if you know that you've been free if you know God has looked beyond your faults and God has forgiven you and you feel the freedom of forgiveness from God then you need to go through your mind right now right here in this place and think about people that you are still holding in that cage you got to open that cage today. And you got to let somebody go so that your life can be all that it needs to be. And you can enjoy the blessing of God. See, I want to sing now. I want to praise now. And, and, and the song is, is, is talking about God's goodness. And it's talking about his mercy. And, and, and it says that, that for your goodness and for your mercy, and what that simply means is because of your goodness and because of your mercy, I can offer praise because you have done for me what I could not do for myself. You picked me up. You brushed me off. You turned my life around. You gave me another chance. And for that goodness and for that mercy, I want to offer you praise. Is there anybody here today that can offer God praise because you realize that's what we'll say now. Oh Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we bless your name for your goodness and for your mercy. 
that's why I can forgive and that's why you can forgive and that's why you need to forgive and I promise you if you find yourself this week caught up in a situation listen if you're in a relationship you're going to have to forgive this afternoon it's going to come up before the night's over you're going to have to ask somebody to forgive you you're going to have to say I'm sorry and when somebody else say to you they're sorry you're going to have to let them go do it for you and you'll see how your life began to emerge doors of church open doors of church open anytime during the singing of the song this is an opportunity for you to give God your heart give God your life he wants to forgive he is here to forgive but when you receive he wants you to forgive someone else doors of church open anytime during the song this is your moment
Amen. That's a reason to offer God praise for his goodness and for his mercy. I want you to seriously consider who needs to be forgiven in your life. And do it so that you can enjoy the freedom that God would have you have. Hey friends, this is Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I know by now you know about this new book that we have released. Not only have we released it, the book is here. And it's an excellent read, not just because I wrote it, but because of the content and what it conveys. It tells the story of where marriage comes from. Marriage comes from God. And I need us to know that. And if you are in love and are considering this particular path for your life, the content of this book will help you along the way. Not only do we talk about where marriage comes from, we talk about keys to compatibility, what's necessary to be effective in marriage. I have a little acronym in the book, it's called CUT, C-U-T, Communication, Understanding, Trust. That becomes the basic formula that's necessary for any marriage to be successful. Not only do we talk about those things and the keys to compatibility, we also talk about staying in love. Once you're in love, we certainly want to remain in love. And some may wonder, well, what if I married the wrong person? We even deal with that as well. So this is a great opportunity for you to make sure that you're in line with what God's will is for your life. God bless you. Please follow the prompts on the screen that you may know how to get your personal copy of this book. Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you.